You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hello and welcome to part two of episode nine of the Words Between Friends podcast. That's right, this episode was so full of savory goodness that we had to split it in two. I'm Malcolm Fleshner, and my co-host Kurt Wolfram and I pick up the hijinks where we left off, talking about the quaint and curious origins of common English expressions, and as always, we each have to supply the definition and possible derivation of the terms or phrases brought by the other, all with our signature low-grade mutual animosity built up over the past 35 years. And I think the astute listener will notice that I have followed your request. You submitted it in triplicate that I record the intros and outros from now on. Well, not the outro, they wouldn't know that yet, but the intro separately. And you know how reluctant I am to take your advice, right? Well, ever since I told you to put all of your money into WorldCom, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Enron's going up, baby, up, up, up. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. What could go wrong? I want you to talk to my friend Bernie. <laughs> no, not Sanders. This guy's great. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean he made off with all your money? Um, yeah, right. Talk about aptly named. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie made off. You're like, yes, and? That doesn't sound suspicious. So normally I said I wouldn't listen to you at all, but I have. I honored your request, especially because now I realize that I can record the intro afterwards and I can put whatever I want in and you don't know. Right. And I really appreciate those racial slurs. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. What is it with you and the Belgians? (laughs) So this is the part two of Words Between Friends number nine. And in the first episode, part one, you got to do only one expression. You did skin of our teeth, which I was so close to getting it. And I did two. Do you remember the two that I did? Uh, Yes, you did uh, Streets Ahead (laughs) and Sakes Alive. (laughs) <laughs> I did um, Baker's Dozen yeah, yeah. and at sixes and sevens. Right. So we start with you coming back to you and you know I'm ready for you to launch whenever you like. Okay, well, six of one and 14 of the other. So <laughs> dozen and a half of the other. You know, that wasn't funny when you did it in the first one, so I edited it out. <laughs> Two dozen of the other. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Still not funny and still getting edited out. <laughs> six of one, 24 of another, 27,000 of another. Just, yeah, the higher you go, it gets funnier and funnier. Billion of another. <laughs> All right, so my second one from the source, which is idioms.com. That was actually the source from the last one, so I don't know where this one is. They're all from the Internet, folks. <clears throat> I hope you have a terminal near you to get on one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So the second term is this, and uh, we'll let you guess. The term is called the luck of the Irish. The luck of the Irish. The luck of the Irish. Yes. (laughs) I have always loved this expression because if, as a student of Irish history, there's one thing that has consistently, from the earliest, even pre-Stone Age, to the very modern day, the through lines of Irish history is that they just kept catching breaks left (laughs) and right. You know, just everything's going the Irish's way. And so I love the expression, the luck of the Irish. What it should mean is bad luck. But it actually means good luck, which is curious. And where did it come from? Why are the Irish, why have they been deemed so lucky? That's the, well, okay, so is that correct? The first part is correct, yes, sir. It means good luck, okay. Yes. And why do we say the luck of the Irish? Uh, It dates back to, there was a famine 
in Ireland, you know, one of many famines in Ireland are like they come by, like we have presidential elections, so they got famines in Ireland. But this one was in the early Middle Ages, maybe 1200s. So people are starving and there was a massive beaching of whales in a part of Ireland, a coastal, obviously, part of Ireland. It wasn't, it wasn't in the highlands. So a massive pod of whales beached and died on the coasts, I'm guessing the east coast of Ireland, somewhere to the Irish Sea. And all these starving Irish came down and they butchered and lived off of these whales and it helped them survive this winter. And it was such a stroke of good luck for the Irish. And it became this unique and crazy situation that occurred, this event, that the Irish were deemed to have this great dumb luck that this is the other thing when somebody will sideswipe you in the car or T-bone you and you walk away from the accident and they're like, wow, you were really lucky. It's like, luckier would have been not getting hit at all, you know? Or maybe you with your diagnosis, wow, you were really lucky that you could do nothing about it for a couple of years and still seem fine getting your treatment late like you did. But luckier, probably not getting cancer in the first place, right? Like, who's luckier? The person who doesn't get cancer or the person who gets cancer and treats it and lives? I don't know. So the luck of the Irish, luckier would have been not having the famine in the first place. But they experienced this famine. They survived this difficult time by living off of eating beached whales. And that is how the, uh, the term arose. All right. So uh, just to be clear, your answer is that in the Middle Ages, a uh, whale beaching which also led to the phrase, a whale of a good time. Having, <laughs> yeah. And that is the luck of the Irish. Well, that is absolutely uh, what you just said. And I agree that that's what you said. However, I go back to your original point and say, yes, I had the same sort of train of thought, which is very scary, being like, well, the luck of the Irish. I mean, let's <laughs> think about it. Like, in terms of groups, really... You know, this doesn't seem. And then, of course, I researched uh, some of this. It talks about their sort of famous bad luck, which was the Irish potato famine, the one that most people are familiar, not the middle-aged whale famine, the humpback famine, I believe it's called, <laughs> that you allude to. Mm -hmm. This was from 1845 to 1852. There were about, according to consensus accounts, about a million deaths and about 2.1 million refugees. And that was a large, pretty good chunk of their population at the time. And there's books and books written about this, and there's a lot of... <laughs> there's books uh, and books. <laughs> books and books, a lot written about this, because it was a huge impact for all over the world, especially even for the United States, because yes. a lot of them ended up coming here. And then there was a lot of critique, you know, when you look at the surface of it, from the, you know, to the British government, and there was a very well-worn trope of saying, well, they were still exporting luxury foods from Ireland during yeah. that time. All of these things are true when you go behind a little bit, which only took me about 20, 25 minutes of reading, you find out that the vast majority of the British public and the world public was very concerned about this and provided a tremendous amount of aid and food. And they just didn't have the means as a world that time to stay on top of this. And certainly the political oppression was not helpful. There was another uh, part of it is also that initially there was a tremendous outpouring of support for the Irish, even within England and so on and so forth. Then a new government came in and they were less sympathetic. And also people just had fatigue. They got sick of the Irish hearing about the Irish because this famine dragged on and on and on and on for seven years plus. And so people just stopped caring as much. Meanwhile, the Irish just dying off, dying off, dying off and emigrating. And you're right. I don't believe the population of Ireland has recovered since it's still lower now, I believe, than it was in 1845. 
Yeah, there's a really good real-life lore video about that available, and I recommend it because it shows that it's taken, I think, just until very recently for that population to recover. Now, the vast majority of those people ended up in these United States, and very many of them, because of the timing, and here's the payoff, ended up, because it was 1845 to 1852, going to the state of California, where in March 1848 or so, mm -hmm. gold was discovered on a guy's ranch who coincidentally, the guy who owned that land, John Sutter, never got rich off of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know, it just didn't work out for him. And he had actually settled that ranch where the gold was first discovered was on his ranch, a 50,000 acre tract of land. He was originally from Switzerland and he named his new tract of land called New Helvetia, he called it, which is just a little bit over from Helvetica. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't make his money in gold, but he made more yeah. than he could have ever made in gold in fonts. Yeah, and Helvetia, which was what he named it, he was a printer or whatever you call that, you know, whoever does typeface, a publisher in Switzerland. And Helvetia, Helvetica are sort of interchangeable. And it led me to finding out that the name of Helvetica, what it means is boring, essentially. <laughs> And uh, that's the point, is when they made it, it's meant to be boring. Mm -hmm. They wanted it to have a neutral design that lacked any kind of personality. Not all those bells and whistles of the traditional fonts, those flashy fonts that people were so used to seeing. Yeah. Those medieval texts that have that giant first letter that's all decorative and so on. None of that stuff. Yeah. We're starting fresh. And the reason that this guy ended up on this land called New Helvetica or Helvetia was because he was squeezed out by the technological advance of one of his rivals who invented in his foundry the Agadine's grotesque typeface that was just so racy that it soon it soon put Helvetica in the dust. It was banned in most countries. It was so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the curlicues were just too much. People were getting the vapors all over Switzerland. So this actually is the reason the guy leaves Switzerland, mm -hmm. comes over to America, and within months... He had all these workers to do this ranch and to settle all this up. They all leave. All of his workers abandon him to search for gold. Yeah. Thousands of prospectors overran and destroyed much of mm -hmm. his land and equipment. And uh, that was it. I love the idea of like the great Swiss font wars of 1835. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just oh, the killings. It was, it was brutal. Yeah. You know, bro turned brother against brother. A million Irish came because of the potatoes, and one Swiss guy came because of the typeface, and that's where the gold was found, right? By the way, the footnote here is Sutter then for decades, I guess, went to Sacramento and tried to get the U.S. government to reimburse him for his losses to no avail. And then it concludes with saying, a bitter Sutter retired to Pennsylvania and died. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter Sutter is actually my favorite font. And this is why you'll never hear the phrase, the luck of the Swiss. The luck of the Swiss, yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of who would be worse than the Irish, like, you know, the luck of the Jews. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah that, that would be worse, probably. <laughs> the luck of the African slaves. Yeah, yeah, um, the luck of the Africans. Yeah, you got a lot of candidates there. Uh, luck of the Native Americans. <laughs> but to give you an idea quickly about the gold rush, and then we'll wrap up here. In March 1848, before the gold rush, there were about 150,000 people in the California Territory. 157,000, exactly. Mm -hmm. 150,000 of them were Native Americans, 6,500 of Spanish or Mexican descent, and fewer than 800 non-Native Americans. In other words, us, the pioneers. Of yeah, the, so it was mostly foreigners. Right. So by the mid-1850s, now that's like just a couple years later, because I just referenced 1848, right? About five, six, seven years later, 
there were more than 300,000 new arrivals. And wow. Yeah. And the freeways have been clogged ever since. Yeah. So it's quite an amazing story. And as you know, most of the people who made money there and whose names are still around today, like Levi Strauss and others, Philip Armour, who uh, became from Armour Hot Dogs, Studebaker was there, Henry Wells and William Fargo of Wells Fargo. Mm -hmm. All of them got their start in the gold rush, not digging for gold, though but for supplying the miners. You know, I find that whenever there's a rush of any kind or yeah. the, the, whoever supplies the prostitutes, that's where the money's that's, at. Yeah, that's right here. It has some save <laughs> here about Matt. Anyway, so that leads us to where do the Irish come in there? Where do the Irish come in? That's what I was wondering. Well, it turns out with the millions of Irish coming over here, what was happening was, and this is from a famous professor of history at Holy Cross College and author of 1001 Things Everyone Should Know About Irish American History. He writes, here's the payoff, during the silver and gold rush years in the second half of the 19th century, a number of the most famous and successful miners were of Irish and Irish American birth. Over time, this association of the Irish with mining fortunes led to the expression, the luck of the Irish. Of course, it carried with it a certain tone of derision, as if to say only by sheer luck, as opposed to brains, could these fools succeed. Well, they also had the advantage if they found a leprechaun. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. Gee, look at that. Those Irish, that guy's got another pot of gold. <laughs> it's blue moons. <laughs> Green clovers. Green clovers, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but most of what I knew about Ireland as a kid was from Lucky Charms commercials and the commercials for Irish Spring, whereas apparently there was some association with being clean and uh, Irish Spring, in the commercials, they would have a bar of soap and they would cut it open with a knife, like slice open yeah. it open, and that was supposed to indicate something. And also a lot of people showered outdoors, as far as I can tell. That was Yeah, and they were, they were always like her suit, sort of uh, masculine men there. Sure. And I don't know if you remember this, but Irish Spring was famous in those commercials for a pretty attractive woman coming mm. to the guy after he was ensconced in a thick wool sweater and getting pretty friendly. Sure. And I thought to myself, hey, maybe I should shower once Maybe that's the luck of the Irish. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good stuff there. <laughs> well, yeah. isn't that interesting? Thank you for that. And by the way, I should mention that my story is actually true. That did happen. That's maybe not where the expression comes from, but that, that did happen with the whales. I didn't just make that up. All right, so now I have a super dumb question that yes. I could look up on the Internet, but I, it's occurred to me twice now, and I know it's just idiotic. I'm sure I've read the answer, but whales breathe air. Mm. Yes. Okay. Okay. So they go on the beach. Yeah. And what causes them to die then? Is it just the water doesn't cool down their skin or something? Because conceivably they can keep breathing, right? I think it has to do with when you are in the water, when they are in the water, their internal organs and everything, it relates to the, the pressure of the water. When they get out of the water, the pressure on them is much greater on their internal organs. But I don't know. Uh, I Actually, during this time, I've looked it up on the Internet, and I feel like the guy on the Joe Rogan podcast that just looks <laughs> stuff up while they're talking. And yeah. they're like, yeah. Apparently, beached whales often die due to Irish marauders oh, no. slaughtering them and eating sure. them. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's the most common yeah. cause, apparently. That makes sense. Yeah. The luck of the Irish. <laughs> People coming onto the beach with forks and knives. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, they just sit down, they tie the napkin around their neck, Three Stooges style, <laughs> yeah. and just, just, yeah. <laughs> just start, start cutting up and eating, just, just like a lining on either side of the whale. 
Listen, it's better than if you've watched that video from the early 70s of the beached whale in Oregon, where mm. the Oregon State Highway Patrol was given responsibility for dealing with this stinky beached dead whale on somewhere on the Oregon coast, and they decided to detonate a bunch of dynamite underneath it, and they moved people back like a mile away, and they set it off. The point was ostensibly to blow it up into a billion little pieces, and then like the seagulls or whatever would eat it, and it did blow like a chunk out of the whale not much but a lot of the debris the whale based debris <laughs> landed on cars and nobody was injured i don't think terribly but the video is people pretty far away watching there's an explosion and then there's a pause and then you start hearing like thwack thwack and people are like oh no ah! and running <laughs> and it's it's pretty entertaining oh uh, yeah how can you not love america when i hear a story <laughs> like that even as you started, I'd never heard of this video before, but as soon as you started, I said, boy, I hope they blew it up. I hope they blew it up. <laughs> sure enough. Well, that's certainly our first impulse. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's a problem. We can solve it by blowing shit up. I, you know, at least we're going to try. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, God love them for trying. When the correct solution, obviously, is to let a bunch of starving Irish know about it, and they'll come down and take care of it themselves. But I guess they didn't have enough in the Oregon coast at the time. Okay, so that's Luck of the Irish. That's interesting. The Luck of the Irish, it was, at least it was slightly derisive. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, if I were in that situation and I were Belgian, for example, God forbid, when you're saying that, if you're not Irish, there's a little bit of resentment. Right? Sure. Because you're like, oh, you're always finding the gold and it's another Irish person. Now, if we're just playing the numbers, if there's a million new immigrants and a good chunk of them came over, they could have just got it by probability. There could have just been more Irish out in the field. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do like the idea of resenting the Irish for all their good fortune. That's... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> all right, so you did Skin of Our Teeth and Luck of the Irish, yeah. and now we're on to my third and final expression. I got my definition from Wikipedia, so it, you know it's authentic. But the expression is a very simple one. It is the number 86. Mm. What does 86 mean in slang? You don't need to tell us that it's one more than 85. I think our audience is hip to that already. Well, I'm not sure about that either. I mean, it could or cannot be. I, you know, math and I, you know. <laughs> yeah, so what does it mean, 86? All right, so 86 is the parlance that I know it from intimately is in my career, in my days in the food service industry, where I was taking food from one place to another place and then putting it on a table and then being like, so, what do you want, something else? You good? All right, I'll come back later. <laughs> Here's your slop, you hogs. <laughs> and get some money from you. <laughs> and as you very well know, I used to work in a, a number of restaurants when I was younger and mm -hmm. prettier, when I was a prettier young man. And sometimes if you get a couple, they'd order the same thing, like the fettuccine Alfredo. Sure. And my standard joke was then to bring the food out to the, the husband and the wife there, and then kind of pause for a minute and go, oh, I'm sorry, and then take the plates and switch them and say, <laughs> I messed up, and then uh, take a bite of the man's fettuccine. Yeah, sure, cop a feel. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, you always go too far. Yeah, yeah, a little bit too far there. <laughs> I would try to do a little Lady in the Tramp thing with the wife. <laughs> I mean, look over there. Isn't that some beached whales in the parking lot? Come here, man. Let me show you the, the kitchen back here. So the walk-in cooler, that's where you would go. But if the people ordered the fettuccine Alfredo and you went back to the very helpful people in the kitchen and put your order in, because back then it was all done by paper and, and people, and if they didn't have it, they would say, we're 86 that, or we're out of it. 
And so that, that's what it meant. 86 meant you were out of it. And I think it's used in other things like in sports and in prisons and things. What happened to uh, Vic? Well, he's been 86. <laughs> we are gathered here today to <laughs> bear witness to the passing of dear Uncle George, who was 86. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, it, you know, he was committed to it because that's why he's got the number on his coffin here. Also, we've had to 86 the potato salad <laughs> yeah. at the reception. So, yes, okay, that is correct. And, and unfortunately, I know this one. So we've always talked about if the other person knows it, they should pretend they don't because it ruins the gaff, right? Well, let me give the precise definition. Okay. And then you can get to what you think the origin is. All right. 86, this is from Wikipedia, as I said. 86 is American English slang used to indicate that an item is no longer available traditionally from a food or drinks establishment, or referring to a person or people who are not welcome in the premises. The term has been more generally used to mean getting rid of someone or something in the 1970s. Its meaning expanded to refer to murder. Ooh. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, as a noun, it's used in restaurants and bars, an expression indicating that the supply of an item is exhausted or that a customer is not to be served, also a customer to be refused service. It also means to eject or debar a person from premises, to reject or abandon. The OED gives examples of usage from 1933 to 1981. For example, from The Candidate, in which the media advisor said to Robert Redford, Okay, now, for starters, we've got to cut your hair and 86 the sideburns. According to Castle's Dictionary of Slang, the meaning expanded during the 1970s to also mean to kill, to murder, to execute judicially. So yeah, you're absolutely right, although there's more to it than what you said, but you've got the crux of it and that it uh, is a restaurant slang. I always heard that it was also like if somebody ordered something and then they changed their mind, you would say 86 the side of whatever it is to the kitchen staff, to, so don't cook that. But am I wrong about that? Right. No, I, th I think you could use it as, as that. But, it, you know, it amuses me that every industry tries to get their jargon going there. It's just like, because it takes so much longer to be like, they changed their mind. Give them the noodles or whatever. You got to be like, ah, on, on runway 40, there's a 322 going down at the, you know. Every industry likes to create its own jargon to exclude yeah. others. And yeah, sure. So we can proceed. What is the origin of this term? Well, I want to reflect while you were doing your thing there. I was just reflecting on how I had looked up the whale stuff, and I'm like, I could just be looking this up as you talk and be like, oh, I know that one too. That'd be make for a great game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is like cheating with your young children when you're playing like war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're playing Monopoly. You're like, I'm sorry, you've lost again. All the <laughs> hotels are mine. Yes, Daddy gets to be the banker. That's not actually true, because I did frequently cheat when I was playing war with my children, but it would be cheat to help them win and end the game, because I don't know how much war you've played, but boy, not a not <laughs> great, very compelling game when you're like four or five. Yeah, yeah. But mm, as an adult, it's a game you can play while, <laughs> while on your phone, giving 98% attention to your phone. Yeah, and sadly, they can go on forever, those yes. wars. But I would, I would do it different, because when I would play the same with my kids, I would just push them over and mush the cards and do all that, because I wanted there to be a peaceful outcome. Right. I would just throw the whole deck at them in their face, yeah. because I wanted to, you know, i go nuclear. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's a good idea. It's perfect timing for all this talk. So actually, I know this one. It's 86. It's actually, believe it or not, folks, it is from 1886 and the tail end of the California gold rush oh. when all the Irish were out looking for the gold. <laughs> and pretty soon they started to disappear. They were magically disappearing and they were just disappearing pretty soon. There were no Irish left in 1886 and they had all succumbed to uh, what turned out to be later a very unlucky sort of illness called gold fever or Irish fever or leprechaun fever, something like that. But anyway, they all died. 
and it was in 1886. <laughs> like it was Irish fever is called cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, my God. All right. So, no, I have no idea where 86 comes from. I'm actually, this is one of the few that I'm actually curious to know where this could have derived from. So what do you got? I do like the idea that the 49ers got 86 but <laughs> Yeah, there you go. It's just every, every number means something. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, in fairness, there's no consensus, so they're not sure, but mm. I have my suspicions. Sure. So there are many theories about the origin of the term, but none are certain. It seems to have originated in the 1920s or 30s. Possible origins include, number one, rhyming slang for nicks. We discussed rhyming slang, cockney rhyming slang, in a previous episode, so go back and find that if you don't know what it is. But it's not really clear why it would be 86 instead of 96 or 76 or 66. Then number two... Author Jeff Klein theorized that the bar Chumley's at 86 Bedford Street in the West Village of Lower Manhattan was the source. His book, The History and Stories of the Best Bars of New York, claims that the police would call Chumley's bar during Prohibition before making a raid and tell the bartender to 86 his customers, meaning that they should exit out the 86 Bedford Street door while the police would come to the Pamela Court entrance. And then number three, it's part of the jargon used by soda jerks. Walter Winchell, he's a famous columnist, wrote about this in 1933 in his syndicated on-Broadway column. In this, the code 13 meant that a boss was around, 81 was a glass of water, and 86 meant all out of it. Professor Harold Bentley of Columbia University studied soda jerk jargon, which is a phrase I have never uttered, <laughs> but I love, soda jerk jargon, and reported other numeric codes such as 95 for a customer leaving without paying. So... Those are the three possibilities. Do you have a preference that you think is most likely? Well, I mean, I like the ones that are restaurant-related and alcohol-related. I like the 86th Street entrance one, and the other one is good, too, because, you know, it stayed in the restaurant parlance, primarily. And so you say it's consensus. That just means th these are the best guesses. These are the best guesses. They're just as possible origins include. I guess yours is also possible that sure, the Irish sure. were all dead by 1886. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. I mean, and it, it turns out they didn't even know they were dead because they'd all gone to the beach and just lay there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Irish had this habit of going down to the beach, be like, we're ready for dinner. Yeah. And the, and the whales were coming and eating them. So they didn't even know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I like the idea of a you know one of the killer whale attacks one of the the trainers at Sea World. Like this is for you, fucking Irish, back in twelve hundred eleven or whatever it was. Yeah, those were my family, you know. So personally, my favorite is the third, and I think it's most likely that it's soda jerk jargon, because the idea that something would start at just a single restaurant and expand out to the rest of the world it seems unlikely to me and also the, the jargon like that it spreads and the idea that they are all these different numbers that meant different things so you could talk to your coworkers in shibboleth as it were that the customers and maybe even the boss didn't understand and of course there'd be the soda jerk conventions where they'd get together talk about all the various innovations in phosphates for example <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> and egg creams sure i you know i always read like the hardy boys and they would go have a phosphate or an egg cream and i have no <laughs> fucking idea what those are what a phosphate is that i guess it's a drink an egg cream are there eggs in it is there cream in it i don't know i mean they, we still have root beer floats and things like that that also would be confusing if they had gone out of fashion and you know what's a root beer float but an egg cream and phosphates those are the two a bicarbonate 
I'll have a bicarbonate of soda. <laughs> so anyway, but I do like the idea that there's the soda jerks, they're having conventions, it's a career, and... <laughs> oh, I work for the Association of Soda Jerks, you know, you know <laughs> amalgamated. There's a union. And just, just that they're called jerks. <laughs> there's lots of fun stuff involving soda jerks. So, yes. But 86, I think, I like 86. I love that as an expression. I should use it more. Hey, 86, that guy, get him out of here. <laughs> you know, like a teacher, if a, a kid is misbehaving, you're 86 go to the principal's office. In business meetings, we're going to have to 86 that idea. I'm sure people do, but I never hear it. So I'm just finishing up my malted here, and uh, <laughs> I just want to reflect that not far from where I live geographically in the uh, three-dimensional world, there's a jerk barbecue place that has yeah. a sign out on the Route 1. That's another one. Yeah, jerk chicken. Yeah, jerk, jerk barbecue. And the jerk is just real big on the sign and like barbecue's a little letter. And you drive past it. And every time I take it personally, you know, I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. Well, that's another thing we should explore perhaps is yeah. whether the expression like soda jerk and jerk chicken and the like have any relation to the term jerk, meaning an idiot or an asshole or whatever. I mean, there was a Steve Martin movie, The Jerk. And as I recall, like, a jerk is kind of like an asshole, I thought. And he's not an asshole. He's just a moron in this movie. So I didn't really get why it was called the jerk. But maybe there are multiple definitions of jerk that I don't really understand. And it was more nuanced than I thought. Yeah, it's like a taffy pulling. It's uh, more nuanced <laughs> than you think. Have you ever, like, stood outside a window of a taffy place? They got those machines that just pull the taffy and it's spinning. That is mesmerizing. If I ever did or wanted to, again, take any of them psychedelics, I could probably just stand outside a taffy pull shop and just watch one of those for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Jimmy, have you ever seen a Gladiator movie? <laughs> Come on, kids, we're going out to the taffy shop. Oh, we're getting taffy? No, no, we're just... No, no, we're just going <laughs> to take LSD and watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we'll play go. War. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> a lot of fun in my household. Okay, so before we move on to your final expression, have you figured out what the common theme among mine is? Well, let's see, you've got the beach whales. <laughs> All right, what are your three again? It was Baker's Dozen. Yeah. At sixes and sevens. Yeah. And 86. Well, it, it, clearly, this is a reference to the hit 70s show, Rhoda, which was a <laughs> spinoff from Mary Tyler Moore, I believe. Well, I guess, you know, something to do with numbers. I mean, I'm no genius. Yeah. And I was trying to think of other numbers-related expressions. One was keep it 100, which is a more recent yeah. vintage. Yeah. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. But that everyone knows <laughs> where that came from. And then one of my favorite expressions of all time, yeah. which if the, the listener is un, unfamiliar with, is free, white, and 21. Are you familiar oh. with this expression? No, I'm not, because I don't have any kind of racist tendencies. So this was a common expression <laughs> in the... Sorry about that. Like, Depression era, maybe before the 20s and 30s, uh -huh. and it was any woman wishing to, and it was often in the movies, any woman wishing to demonstrate that she can't be told what to do would say, I'm free, white, and 21. Oh, there you go. And they didn't think of it as racist, and, and I guess in a sense it wasn't, <laughs> because if you're black, it doesn't matter whether you're free and 21, you can't do whatever you want, but... I highly recommend listeners go and look up a compilation of people in movies saying, I'm free, white, and 21. But, you know, th at the same time, people would say that's very white of you. That took longer to die out. You remember that? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, the, the fact is our listener knows that these things are a progression and an evolution of society. And the things that I, and I'm sure you, were about the same age, heard regularly when we were kids, especially mm. when we were kids. I'm yeah. not going to talk about as we were growing up, but little kids just would just, 
it would get people in serious trouble today. Yeah. You know, uh, forget <laughs> about being canceled. They might not make it through their day. Yeah, uh, there would be yeah, Gen Zers with pitchforks. And, right. Yeah. And then if you, if you go back to our parents' age and then grandparents, my God, it wasn't that long ago that this nation had segregated just about everything. Water fountains, lunch counters. You couldn't go get your malted or your egg cream. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, so that's one thing I like about the expression free white in 21 is that in that sense, they're just acknowledging, I mean, uh, <laughs> you're just much better off being white. Anyway, you're correct. They were all numerical expressions and you did very well and I appreciate it and congratulations. And now let's move on to yours. Your final one. Let's close it out strong. All right. So the uh, final one I have is a common expression and it goes out of the frying pan into the fire. Okay, well, out of the frying pan into the fire. I think out of the frying pan into the fire is relatively straightforward that you are experiencing some sort of adverse circumstance you have extricated yourself from only to find yourself woe betide you in another bad situation. So out of the frying pan where you're being cooked and into the fire where you're also being cooked. Right. And probably a little quicker. <laughs> yeah. There could be that one is worse. Like out of the frying pan into the fire, like I, I just got out of something that is bad and now I'm in a situation that's worse. But I think it, it doesn't have to be. It just is, generally speaking, it's from one bad situation to another bad situation. But maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me. Well, I mean, you're right because, they, well, you're right that I'm going to correct you. Because in the frying pan, you have a chance to jump out onto the stove or the land or whatever. Get out of that. But you go into the fire. Now it's worse for you. So I think there is an intimation that it is moving from one thing that's difficult into a worse one. Okay. As a matter of fact, that's the literal definition that I'm looking at. Here. Okay. All right. So would you care to guess where that originates from? Oh, right. Where did it come from? Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot about that part. <laughs> I'll give you just a hint because you've been very gracious oh, uh, to me you. today, not to mention my skincare uh, regimen. It has something to do with the Irish. <sighs> okay, so... No, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> when the Irish used to prepare their whale meat... <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with the Irish, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so that, yeah, that's, that's my hint. That, Is it that's your nothing? hint. It has nothing to do with the Irish or pin cushions from the 14th century. Okay. Or Bedouins. <laughs> only only 8th century Bedouins. It has nothing to do with 8th century Bedouins. It has nothing to do with soda jerks. <laughs> Out of the frying pan and into the fire. It seems like one of those expressions that they would have no idea where it came from because it's such a commonplace experience or a universal experience of cooking something and maybe it's frying up in the frying pan and it jumps out and winds up in the fire that you're cooking it. So why would there necessarily be an origin for it? So... Originally, it was about how when you're preparing a certain food that you were so hungry that uh, it was taking too long to cook in the frying pan because you got to wait for the pan to heat up and you're anxious, you're hungry, you want to eat it. And so you're just like, screw it. I'm just going to throw it into the fire and cook it faster that way. But of course... That was ineffective because it would, A, burn it probably. And then how are you going to retrieve it? You have to get some tongs or something. So originally, the expression out of the frying pan and into the fire meant you were impatient. And if someone is like, oh, when is the bus going to come? When is the bus going to come? And the person would say to them, don't get out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm -hmm. That was a common thing. People were constantly saying sure, that to each other. Sure, sure. 
And so stay in the frying pan. <laughs> so, yeah, but then, as with so many other expressions, it transformed over time to come to mean out of one bad situation into one that's mm. worse. I like it. I like it. While you were doing that, I was extolling the benefits of talk therapy, where the therapists are very famous in this meme of, you know, which is real life, I guess, in therapy, where they, they really don't say nothing. They just kind of let the patient go because they're getting paid by the hour. Right. And they right. just go. And I yeah. did the idea that this is sort of like a big therapy session. Like, yeah, you go ahead. You work it out. You work it out. You work, out. <laughs> work out where you think this is all coming from. And like I'm taking notes. He thinks people are pushed in front of buses a lot. Well, the thing is being put on the spot, having to come yeah. up with something is a challenge. And I worry that my microphone is pretty sensitive. It will pick up the grinding of the gears in my head, <laughs> or maybe someone in the vicinity will smell the smoke coming out right. of my ears because I try not to apply my intellectual capabilities, but limited that they yeah. are. I try to do it as little sure. as I can, and this is the one opportunity I have, so I'm out of practice. Yeah, sure. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, I was helping my daughter with her homework or doing something brain-related, and I was like, ah, oh, this is what I felt like 30 years ago when I did that homework once. You know? <laughs> anyway, you did very well with that. You're to be commended in your ability to uh, just <laughs> launch into an explanation that would last until your lawyer got there, I imagine. Keep him talking until your lawyer arrives. Uh, you know, I pride myself on being full of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> being able to come up with bullshit. Yeah, keep him talking until your lawyer gets there. And uh, just a quick aside, I know we got to wrap up here, but you know, you see these little YouTube clips of, forget the ads, because now the ads really amuse me because you get like five seconds to get my attention before, you know, I'm going to click off. Mm. And they're like, do you want to, you know, I'm like, no, I don't, nope, I don't, no, nope, no, nope, I don't care what you're seeking, you're, you know, it's just, and they only have those five seconds. They just try all different kinds of things. And I'm tickled by these five second teasers that people do. You know, the guy just being like, yeah. have you ever been to one of these self-improvement seminars and you don't really feel improved? And you're like, that took five seconds. I'm like, nope, yep, doesn't matter. Moving on, <laughs> right? Because it's, yeah, nice it's all Amway. And the great thing is because it's YouTube, there's no sense to it. It's all Amway. That should be their tagline. But there's no sense to it. It can be, you know, my feed, I guess it's, they're all custom, but it could be, you know, self-improvement seminar to why you should eat broccoli to fashion because I get stuff from my daughter, like the fashion stuff. So they think I want spandex all the time. Anyway, but one of the better videos that I ever saw on YouTube was from a, I don't even know how I got onto it, but it was from a, it might've been a radio show. It was a defense attorney, right? Mm -hmm. And he was a pretty famous defense attorney, which is why he was on the show and pretty well established and well regarded. And he just came out, it was a national broadcast, so it was the radio, it wasn't YouTube. Sorry about all that YouTube crap. That has nothing to do with nothing. But anyway, the guy goes on for about five minutes. It was fascinating to me, because he was like, listen, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's two million people in prison in this country. And he goes, I bet it would be about three, 400,000. I mean, it was something ridiculous. He's like, 80% of them would not have been in prison if they just waited till their lawyer showed up. <laughs> and said lawyer. I mean, and he was absolutely serious and he made a very convincing case. He said, listen, all these shows show you the people answering questions to the cops in the interrogation room. And he goes, you don't have to do any of that. You just sit there and have your right to remain silent. And the only thing you need to say is lawyer. And I just thought to myself, if I ever get a podcast, I'm going to tell our listener to do it. Sure. That. This is so helpful. Parts one and two. Part one, get yourself checked. For, the, for that lump. Yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and B, get yourself a lawyer. Don't talk to the cops. Don't say nothing.
Don't say nothing. Clam up. Anyway, so out of the frying pan into the fire, which someone could say in one of these criminal things, right? It's bad enough you got caught, right? Mm -hmm. But then you jump into the fire yourself by your own admission, confessing. Never confess. All right, moving on. So it, this goes all the way back to 15 BCE, back when the whales were just throwing themselves on the beaches. <laughs> and the first one is from a Greek saying about running from the smoke or the fire into the flame. The first recorded use by one of your favorite poets, Germanicus Caesar. <laughs> Distant relation of Augustus Caesar. I, I came believe. super close to naming my first son Germanicus. Yeah, sure, sure, why not? There it is applied to a hare in flight, a rabbit in flight from a dog that attempts to escape by jumping into the sea only to be seized by a quote-unquote sea dog. <laughs> okay. That might be code for whale. Sure. I don't know. But you know how it is. The rabbits are always getting chased by dogs, and then they jump into the sea, and they get bitten by a sea dog. <laughs> Apparently, in the 15th century, that was a, it was a problem there. It was rife. So then it goes all the way forward to some guy named Thomas More, out of the frying pan into the fire. That's the first time it's actually used like that. He came up with the term utopia. He was, you know, he was beheaded. But, uh, yeah, he wrote Utopus. Mm, I believe the term is unheaded. Yeah. Yeah. I never understood why it was called beheaded, because that would be like, you put a head on something to behead it. It should be deheaded. Right. That's a good point. You should see my YouTube ad. <laughs> put the head back on the doll. Do you get frustrated with terms like beheaded when it should be deheaded? <laughs> Although I do like the idea that what the algorithm is saying to you, if all the ads to you are about self-improvement, <laughs> I think the algorithm is implying that, you know, you could use a little help You're wanting in some ways, pal. Right, which brings up the funny comedian uh, making the observation, being like, you know, why is it called self-improvement if it's in the bookstore there? Shouldn't you be doing that yourself? Why are there books for that, you know? So that's it. I mean, there's more examples. I thought there was another funny one here, but essentially that's what it is. The fable warns us that even when we are avoiding present dangers, we should be careful not to fall into even worse peril. Right. And I think that what it's really illustrating is that out of haste, like you, you intimated with the bus thing, that our impatience when we're uncomfortable often causes us to then rush out of that circumstance, maybe to our further peril. Yeah, I just stripped these expressions down. I removed the subtlety from them, and it's like one bad thing to another bad thing. When it's actually layered, and there's a sophisticated sort of analysis under, to understand the subtlety of it, and I'm just like, uh, that's yeah. bad, and that's bad. Yeah, that's my bit about uh, voices around the world, where Indian woman doing voice, you don't have to know the dialect, and you know who she's talking about, because she'll be telling a story, and she'll be like, and then you're like, okay, she's talking about her husband now. Oh, I thought she was talking about the Swedish chef. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Swedish chef, man. Is that the Muppet reference? <laughs> my God, man. Hey, you dropped Nipsey Russell on the last one, pal, so I don't want to yeah, hear it. That's a good point. All right. <laughs> and don't forget Germanicus Caesar. Germanicus Caesar. Nobody remembers him. What do you got? You got French, Thousand Island, Germanicus Caesar. I'll take the Germanicus Caesar. <laughs> Listen, you soda jerk. All right. You got by the skin of your teeth. You got the luck of the Irish. And then out of the frying pan into the fire. So what's my theme? Let's see. Skin of our teeth. Luck of the Irish. Out of the frying pan into the fire. They're all titles of plays. Ah, that's absolutely. Is that, is that true? No, I don't know. 
Oh, okay. This could be. Damn it, I should have gone with it. Oh, you idiot, you don't know? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I may not know what Dot of the Frying Pan and the Fire and Skin of Our Teeth mean, but at least I know about the famous plays The Luck of the Irish, Skin of Our Teeth, and Out of the Frying Pan and the Fire. Can you imagine what a cliche that would be to title your play Out of the Frying Pan and the Fire? Yeah, yeah. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, a new yeah, play we, by... No. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's my brother. <laughs> See, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, what is your theme? All right, the big reveal. It's not very revealing, but you always say that I'm not personal enough and I don't open up enough to people about all the murders of the nuns that I've committed. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is that, we're not recording this, right? Anyway, but they're personal this week. This is a personal one because I feel like I have survived this ordeal up till now. I mean, it's only uh, October in 2023. This diagnosis by the skin of my teeth, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky to get the care that I've gotten in the beautiful state of Maryland and getting the care that I got from the wonderful folks at Kaiser Permanente, named after Kaiser Wilhelm, of course. Who ironically was soon thereafter deposed. Yeah, right, exactly. Kaiser not so permanente. So the luck of the Irish and uh, skin of my teeth to describe that. And then the last one is out of the frying pan into the fire because... What is probably not talked a lot about in these times that you go through is that, and I was, I was fortunate to have a lot of support from my medical team, for some close friends, to the people that I chose to reach out to. And the circumstances that I was in, I was relatively cosseted. So I'll just wrap it up and just say that the caution, I think, coming off of something like this is to be careful with the next steps I take, that I don't try to do too much too soon, but also in my case, that I don't try to do too little too late. So how is that out of the frying pan into the fire? So you don't want to get out of the frying pan into the toaster? Well, I'm trying to avoid any kind of high temperature environment at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been tough for me to guess because you're not, well, are you Irish? Maybe you are Irish. I don't know. But listen, the bottom line is that not only our listener, I'm sure, but I also am very glad that whether it was by the skin of your teeth or otherwise that you managed to pull this one out, luckily, Irish style. I'm delighted that you're on the other side and that we are able to continue doing these. It brings me tremendous joy. And so I'm just glad that you've recovered sufficiently and that you didn't come out of this experience to say, I've been wasting my time with these podcasts. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have to redo my entire life now and just be like, oh my God, that brush with death really uh, said I should, you know, I should really maybe uh, renew my Amazon account. That's right. what I think I should do. No, obviously there is a little bit of seriousness here at the end I want to put in, which is if you go through something like this, you're obviously going to reassess some things. And I realize that I'm probably best off when I'm feeling well enough to head out to California and see if there's any of that gold left. Yeah, sure. No, it's all gone. No, no. <laughs> there's plenty of people here now. We don't need any more. <laughs> Maryland's yeah. right for you. There's a reason why Maryland did so right by you and that you should do right by Maryland, which, curiously enough, would mean sticking around. Uh, no, no, I think it would mean going to California and selling pickaxes by the side of the road. <laughs> there you go. Or open up a whorehouse. The point is that you're charting a new path, but we're all glad that that new path still includes the podcast, even if you insist on being Captain Bringdown during every episode. Yes, well, I appreciate that, and I think it's just a wonderful thing to be alive sometimes. And probably not as much during the famine, but we should all be very grateful for the time and the peace and security we have. And long may it last. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to go get a uh, <laughs> get an egg cream. 
I'm going to celebrate the wrapping up this episode with an egg cream, and you can, you can go have that malted, and then maybe I'll have a jerk after that. <laughs> so thank you for making it all the way through the frying pan of part one and into the fire of part two of this episode of the Words Between Friends podcast without 86ing us. If you found the show tolerable, you're practically guaranteed to be able to sit through the other podcast Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, in which we share provocative letters written to advice columnists and then provide our own pointed suggestions while also rating the advice offered up by the professionals. Available wherever you enjoy quality podcast content. For now, however, we close things out, but as always, leave you with our solemn pledge that next time we promise to do better. Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or, if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also, be sure to check out the other podcast Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we offer our critiques of professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers while barely concealing our borderline contempt for one another.